Well, before I get started, I just wanted to introduce a very, very special person to our worship service, and that is Araceles and Evan Samford's daughter, Hannah. So I guess she's asleep, otherwise he'd be holding her up, but she's way back there, but this is her first service with us, so we're very excited to welcome Hannah to our number. So I wanted to show you a photo. So we know what the soccer girl is thinking, but do we know what the boy is thinking? How happy they are. There's something so special about this that the more you think about it, the more emotional you get. Because it touches our heart. It gets down there to a need we all have. It's a relatability. It's a need to feel related to. A need to connect with people that we feel we can relate to. They can relate to us. There's a common relationship there that just literally changes our lives. I don't know how old this child is, but I have trouble believing he'll forget this, at least in the foreseeable future. It's just so special. This has a lot to do with what we're going to talk about today. That's why I love this picture. Thank you for Mike Rotondo sending it to me. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to talk about Jesus can relate. Matthew chapter 9. Now this is a great story, a great moment in Jesus' life. It was a great moment in the tax collectors that were there, their lives, and the other sinners that were there in their lives. It was a great moment for them. Not quite sure that it was a great moment for the Pharisees that were there. But let's read this. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus went out from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Obviously, Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew is otherwise known as Levi. They're the same person, Matthew and Levi. Matthew eventually became a, an apostle. So Jesus saw Matthew and called to him and said, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him, which is pretty amazing that he would leave his booth with all the money in it, presumably, and just follow Jesus. It says in verse 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, which is another interesting thing because I thought Jesus called Matthew to follow him, and now Jesus is following Matthew to Matthew's house. 
It says, while he was in dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. So quite a collection of the notorious of town. Tax collectors were hated by the Jews because they were collaborating with the Roman government, which had an illegal occupation of Israel. And so no one would fellowship with them. Even the, the tithes of the tax collectors, even those tithes, uh, were, uh, were looked down on and not accepted in the temple. The temple would not accept any money from a tax collector. They were so hated. Well, anyway, Jesus had gathered at Matthew's house and all these other people gathered and ate with Jesus and Jesus' disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is a powerful statement. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Well, he sent him away. He didn't just send him away, but he sent him away with a mission. Go learn. Now, what do you think if you're a Pharisee, how are you going to accept this? The Pharisees were the most religious, law-abiding citizens of all of Israel. The Pharisees got into Scripture so much that they saw all the different interpretations and they had come up with all these accompanying rules and regulations to make sure nobody even got near to breaking a command. They were so into it. And here is Jesus telling them, go away and go learn. I mean, if you were a Pharisee, wouldn't you be insulted? Hey, get out of here. Go learn something. I mean, basically, Jesus is telling the Pharisees, you don't get it. Leave. Get out of here. Wow, I would be insulted by that. But do we understand what it means? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now, a basic understanding of this verse, and it's a quote from Hosea, basic understanding is that what God is really looking for is a willing heart and not obligatory sacrifice. That's the basic understanding. And of course, the Pharisees didn't get it because the Pharisees were all into sacrifice and obligatory things because the law made them obliged to do these things. And so they were into it and they were making sure everybody else did it. I mean, their tithing went to such an extreme that they were tithing out of their personal gardens. It's like this. You know, a lot of people have little, little gardens in their window or right outside their door. What are, what are we growing here in New York? Parsley, chives, um, sage, kale? I don't grow kale. Parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme. Scarborough. But anyway, so they were even taking a tenth of what they grew in their little window areas and giving it to the temple. They were that particular. They were that into tithing that they did that. It was, but it was all out of obligation. I mean, they weren't focused on the heart. They weren't focused on their heart changing. They didn't believe that their heart needed to change in any way. But Jesus saw right through that. 
He said, leave this room. Leave this house. You're not where you need to be. You are on a different planet than I am on. Go learn, and then you can come back. Go learn what this means, then you can come join us again. See, their hearts have become so blinded by their goodness, by their good works, by what they were accomplishing. In fact, Jesus even said they were so proud. They said, thank God I'm not like that tax collector over there. They were even saying this in prayer. Oh, God, thank you. I'm not like that guy. Well, Jesus said, well, who do you think went away forgiven from God? The, the guy doing all the good works or the guy that had with the humble heart? The guy with a humble heart got forgiven. Jesus said that. That must have infuriated the Pharisees because he's speaking right to them, saying they're not even holding to the Word of God. Now, the Pharisees, just to say something on behalf of the Pharisees. Can I do that? Can I just say something to support the Pharisees here for a minute? You see, because I think, yeah, get the whole story. I think that we've, we've gotten so down on the Pharisees. Now, there was a good reason not in Jesus' mind, but in their mind, a good reason that they did what they did. You see, the law said that if the nation holds to God's law, then they would be victorious over their enemies and they would have their nation. And, and so the Pharisees believed, because Rome had an illegal occupation of Israel, the Pharisees believed that if they could get the whole nation to really follow the law, then God would bless them by sending the Messiah and the Messiah would conquer the Romans and reestablish David's throne, authority, and his kingdom. And so no wonder they look down on all the people not following the law. They're not following the law. Come on, guys, get a grip. Then Jesus comes and He doesn't follow everything. No wonder they were upset at Jesus. But Jesus was exposing their hearts. You see, the law never did change hearts. It never did. The only thing that changed hearts was showing people what a sinner they were. And when you really get convicted of your sin and you want to be right with God, you just fall down to God going, God, forgive me, a sinner. That changes hearts, but following the law just never did that. So they might have criticized Jesus for His lack of propriety, but what happened was over time they built a hatred toward Him. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Well, that word, mercy, is an interesting word. Now, in English, it makes sense. We know basically what it is in English. But the problem with that English word is it doesn't have the whole story. As it is with many Greek words and many Hebrew words, we can't really say what that is in English very easily. So it can't be translated by a word. English versions have translated uh, this word into mercy, compassion, faithfulness, loving kindness, and uh, loyalty. But this again is a quote from Hosea 6.6. 6. The real word here is chesed. And I'm not going to say that throughout the sermon because I'll lose my voice. I'll say chesed. But it can be spelled with a C there in front of it to make that chesed. <clears throat> so there's the Hebrew word for you. Well, this is a deep word. This is really a deep word. It means far more than mercy or compassion. This actually, Hebrew scholars are saying this is called an untranslatable word. 
I mean, every language has those words. I don't know too much about many languages, but I do know Portuguese, and in Portuguese there's a word that's untranslatable. Eu tenho saudades. Saudades is basically untranslatable, so I'm not even going to bother going there. Learn Brazilian and then you got it. Okay. What, what this word actually means, well, actually, you've got to picture something in your mind. It, 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 you can't even explain it that well. You've got to picture something. And really, it's something Jesus was amazing at, but something we have to learn. But he was amazing at this. Hess said, first of all, it does not mean to simply sympathize with a person or simply feel sorry for somebody in trouble. What it really means, according to Hebrew scholars, what it really means is to look at people and understand people the way Jesus did. And what was that? It's the ability, Hesed is the ability to get right inside of other people until we can see with their eyes, understand with their understanding, think things with their mind, and feel feelings as they feel feelings. Literally, literally, what Hesed means is to get into somebody's skin to literally relate on such a level that you're, you're inside it. So there's an exchange of understanding. See, that's what we saw in that picture. Without words, probably. There was that relatability of the two either amputees or they were born that way. Comparing, relating. You didn't need words. There was this understanding. They got into each other's skin. That's what the word Chesed really means. Now, to truly understand, a, in order to, well, you've got to truly understand a person, right? Now, could Jesus do that? This is a tricky question. I know you're answering yes, but you've got to think about this. When we picture Jesus quite often, do we picture someone that can totally, totally relate to us? Or are there things in our lives that I'm not sure that Jesus can really relate to me because he never did that and he didn't do that. So I'm not sure that Jesus can relate. Well, listen, Jesus as God can't relate, couldn't relate. Jesus as a man could. See, Jesus had two things going on. Jesus was both God and human. Both God and a man. That was the only way Jesus was going to be able to relate to us sinners, was if he became a sinner. He never sinned, but he became relatable to sinners. Why do you think the tax collectors wanted to be with him? For his righteousness or his relatability? Jesus related to people. You know, if you were if you were a tourist in Africa on safari. Now I've been on a bunch of safaris because I lived in Kenya. 
And it was great. If you ever get a chance, it's amazing. You see God's creation in a whole new way. But anyway, you know, you go on safari with a group of people, and they're photographers, and then they're these really kind-hearted people. And you pull up, and you pull up really slowly to a group of gazelle uh, grazing, and the director, the tour director says, and he points out something to the other side, which is a lion crouching and getting really near the gazelle. Now, always there's this that happens. The photographers are elated, right? They're going to get a kill. I mean, the video cameras are going. They're ready. And this invariably happens. Some really nice-hearted woman goes, No, gazelle, no, run! (laughs) And the gazelle look up at the the little uh, jeep there and go, Because they don't understand English. (laughs) If you really want to warn a gazelle about the lion that's about to eat you, you got to become a... Not a lion. (laughs) What, you want to eat the gazelle first? No, you have to become a gazelle. Because the only way to warn the gazelle is to be a gazelle saying, look, there's a lion. Let's get out of here. Right? And then they all leave and the lion goes, no. Well, I don't know what the lions do, but whatever. I mean, that's how Jesus did it. He could yell from heaven. He could say, no, don't do that. No, there's a better way. But we'd be going. Instead, he became a human so that now he can so that now we understand now we can make a choice whether to run or to stay that was jesus you know in philippians chapter 2 it says that jesus let go of the divine he chose to let go of the divine and become a human in every way. He became a servant in every way. And I thought we had a slide on that. Oh no, we don't. Okay. In his human nature, but we have a slide on this. In Jesus' human nature, Jesus had limitations and weaknesses. I'm going to say it again. Jesus had limitations and weaknesses, just like we do. Read this. Oh, well, skip Philippians 2. We already went past that, so... Go to the next slide. Well, okay. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Jesus did not see that being God should be used for his advantage. That's deep. That's really deep. He let go of the advantage of being God. He completely let go of all that power. Rather, he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus chose to let go of all that power. That's pretty remarkable, actually. I'm not sure if I could handle that personally. I don't think I could. 
especially knowing what life here is like. Don't know if I could do that. Look at this one in uh, Hebrews chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize, not sympathize, unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Our weaknesses. Jesus can relate to our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in... In how many ways? Is there anything you've been tempted with that Jesus can't relate to? No. But how do you feel about that? I don't think that we feel every day that Jesus can relate to everything we're tempted with because we're tempted with some pretty bizarre things. Things I wouldn't want to confess. I do, but it's weird. But Jesus can relate. Tempted in every way. He didn't sin, but he was tempted. So, he was tempted with immorality. He was tempted with adultery. He was tempted with lust. He was tempted with greed. He was tempted with pride. He was tempted with buying a timeshare. I'm sorry if I offended people. You know, when we see Jesus in the desert, we see a strong man, right? How was Jesus in the desert? Oh, he was tough, tough as nails. He just got taken out of that room or out of that whatever area, not the room. Jesus was tough. He just quoted Scripture and that was that. Jesus was tough. You know, when Jesus was in the desert, He was tempted. He was weak. He hadn't eaten in 40 days. He was emotionally drained. He was at the lowest low that you can be as a human. He was primed to be tempted. So, when Jesus, when Satan said, rather... Turn these rocks into bread. You haven't eaten in 40 days. Jesus was so hungry. He was very, very viscerally tempted to do that. See, the Bible just skips right ahead and Jesus says, you know, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But you know, there was a moment there or a long period there or whatever. The Bible doesn't say where Jesus was fighting this. He not only wanted the bread, but he... He wanted the power. He wanted to prove His power. He wanted to show Satan, I am the Son of God. Get out of here. When, when Satan took Him up to the temple wall and said, throw yourself down because the angels will lift you up, Jesus was really, really, really tempted with this. He struggled. He wanted to show Satan, who's who here? He wanted to test God. But he said, No shouldn't test God. On the mountain, Satan said, fall down and worship me. All this can be yours. Jesus was tempted with that. He wanted to do this. You see, Satan didn't, show, Satan didn't tempt Jesus in the easy ways. Satan tempted Jesus in the hardest possible ways he could tempt him. So did Jesus, did he struggle with pride? Oh, yeah. Did he struggle with wanting relief? Oh, yeah. You know, Peter said, oh, Lord, this will never happen to you. 
Jesus was really tempted to stay here. He loved people. He didn't want to leave. He wanted to be here. But he had to say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. That's of Satan, not of God. Jesus was subject to weakness for a reason, though. Look at this scripture. It says, he is able to deal, this is from Hebrews chapter 5, he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. We think Jesus is very, very strong, and he was. But we have to remember how weak he was. We've got to remember how much he struggled through life. Look at this next scripture. Again, Hebrews 5, 7. During the days of Jesus' life, and this is very important, that plural here, because oftentimes when we read the scripture, we believe it's referring to the last day, the garden and the cross. But it is not referring to one day. It is referring to the days, plural, of Jesus' life. So this is what Jesus' life was like. You want a window into his emotions? You want a window into his weaknesses? Then here we go. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears. Fervent cries and tears. That's what Jesus' life was like. He didn't just walk around as the Son of God. And I can handle that. And I can handle that. And I can handle that. Bring me the temptation. And I'll just say no. Wasn't like that. He had to cry out to God. He had to cry out with tears. Fervent tears. God, help me. God, save me. It says with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. This was his life. This described his ministry. He didn't just feel overwhelmed in the garden. He had a lot of experience in this. His whole life was like this. Can I make it? Can I do it? Am I okay? Am I on the right track? All the things we think, right? Jesus can relate because he too went through every single thing you could possibly think, feel, or do. Well, that changes things, doesn't it? That's Jesus the relatable. Jesus had to learn. It says He learned. It says, Son though He was, He learned obedience from what He suffered. He learned through suffering. So He had to learn the, what do we call it? Learning through the, the hard way, Right? Jesus had to learn the hard way. We never think of Jesus having to learn the hard way because we think of Him as the Son of God. We always think of Jesus' divinity and not His human side. But He came to show His human side and His divinity, but He was fully human. He chose not to pull down all the advantages of heaven, but He was weak. He had to learn. He was subject to weakness. He was tempted in all the things we are. He didn't even know all things. Did you know that? That Jesus didn't know all things? He said when people are talking about the last day, what did he say? No one knows when the Son of Man is coming back. Not even the angels, nor the Son, only God. So Jesus is saying, I don't even know all things. Suffering constantly, struggling, grief, anxiety. You know, does this sound familiar? Struggling, tears. Yeah, this is our life, isn't it? But Jesus could relate. 
He struggled so badly in the garden, he said he was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Have you ever been so overwhelmed you thought you were going to die? And Jesus is right there with you saying, I can relate. Tempted so badly you thought you were going to die? Jesus is right there saying, I can relate. Wow, the relatable Jesus. You know, after all this time as a human, all the extreme challenges as a human, you know what? He came out of that experience and during that experience really wanting us, wanting to have mercy, wanting to save us. I mean, that just blows my mind. No wonder the tax collectors and sinners wanted to be with Jesus. It wasn't because he was the most famous person in Israel. It was so that he could sit down and relate. They were drawn to him. They wanted to be with him. Children wanted to be with him. Who were the people that didn't want to be with him? The people that didn't see a need. I don't need that. In fact, you know, he's a drunkard. I'm not hanging out with him. Jesus was even accused of being a drunkard. Did you know that? I mean, you know, some reasons here. He did turn over 700 bottles of water into wine. After people had already had enough to drink. So I can see that. But hey, he was relatable. He became a real man. So how should we feel? How should we feel with Jesus? We should feel amazing. Amazing. Jesus can relate to every single thing we go through. Not as the Son of God. Not as divine, but as a human. And He is still sitting at the right hand of the Father. He still relates to us today. No wonder He treats us with so much dignity and respect. Because we struggle just like He did, and we're making it just like He did. And He says, I really respect you. I respect you for fighting and never giving up. I can relate to you. And I'm so proud of you. Do you know that Jesus, that's how He feels about you? I'm so proud of you for fighting the fight and never giving up. Pharisees were confused. They didn't know what it was like to struggle because they denied they even had struggles. So how could they do this? How could they go and learn what this means? Well, I hope some of them did. I know Nicodemus did. Nicodemus got humble, right? So probably some other Pharisees did. I mean, Paul did. Kind of forced to, but Paul did get humble. He did say, what do you want, Lord? That was pretty quick. (laughs) Jesus attracted sinners. You know, what is our takeaway today? What's our takeaway? So often we go out to share our faith. Lead me to some soul today, right? our faith and what we do is we see the needs of people. Jesus saw the needs of people. There's nothing wrong with seeing the needs of people. But sometimes when we go out and see the needs of people, we think we have to fix them. Let me go fix you. Jesus didn't go out to fix people in that way that we think of it. Jesus went out to inspire people by his example, by his non-condemning words. By his outreach to people. 
by him looking at people in love and relatability. Whether it was a child, whether it was a tax collector. You're not a tax collector. Where's the tax collector? We do have a tax collector here, actually. We have two tax collectors. Don't tell me the other person. I don't want my mind to be. I just know you are, but, you know, I won't say why. But anyway, no, <laughs> no, Kevin's a great disciple. But that was Jesus. What is Jesus asking us to do? Number one, he's asking us to go and learn about mercy, about chesed, about relatability. And what else is he asking us to do? To go call people to follow us. To not follow legalism. To not follow we know best. Or our system. Not, not we're going to fix you, but to follow Jesus in us. To follow the Son of God in us. The man that can relate. The man that gets into people's skin. The man that feels what people feel and relates. That is our mission. You know, there's no better mission than to be called by Jesus to imitate Him at such a level you're literally inspiring people by your example of love, compassion, empathy, and everything Jesus did. So let's go and truly make disciples by imitating chesed, true mercy. Amen.